friends, you're listening to Crickets to Cha-Chings, a show where we talk about all aspects of running a handmade business and marketing that business for success while still keeping a balance to have flexibility for your family. I'm your host, Lauren Keplinger, and I am so excited to get started. Let's jump right in. Welcome back to another episode of Crickets to Cha-Chings. My name is Lauren, and today on the podcast, I am talking with Emily Weckler of uh, Blue Corduroy on Etsy, and I am very excited to have this conversation with her. So welcome, Emily. Thanks for being here. Hi, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Can you kind of give people a little bit of information about what you do and what you make and kind of your backstory on how you get started in your business? Okay. I'm a seamstress and I'm a knitter. And I started out making little baby and kid sun hats. Recently in the last couple of years, I've grown that into also adult sun hats But I started on Etsy in 2007, and I've been selling even before then, when it was back when you had to go to the store, bring your stuff, ask them if they wanted to buy it. I like Etsy way better. (laughs) (laughs) So I um, actually did not know that about you. So I love to have these conversations with people who have been in business for so long that they've seen sort of the iterations of how the market has changed and also had, I mean, I started a little bit later than you and Etsy was around, but it was not in the, like the social media and all of that kind of stuff was not nearly the same as it is now. And having that sort of like old school hustle, like of taking your stuff and going to stores and doing all of that is, it's really fun for me to have those conversations with people because a lot of people who get started now I feel like I'm like, you know, the grandpa who's like back in my right. day, I had to, I had to hit the pavement. I know. We, had to, we had to do it in the snow. <laughs> yeah. I had to walk five miles both ways with my birth. <laughs> <laughs> so when you got started doing this, did you get started as a hobby or did you right off the bat start selling things? That's a good question. I don't think I even knew if it was a hobby or not. My friend and I just kind of threw all our fabric on the floor and started mixing and matching and making things and selling it. But we both had jobs and we just did it for fun. So yeah, I guess we did start it as a hobby. And I think I've kind of kept it on the side as a hobby as my girls were growing up. And just in the last couple years have felt like I could really start thinking of it as a career choice. Yeah. One of the things that I really liked about what you said in the podcast application form was that you feel like you have really learned how to lean into the sweet spot of what you enjoy making and also what your customers are looking for. Can you talk a little bit about how that's come about and also just kind of what that's like for you in your business? Yeah, I guess that's really helped me find my niche, which is hats strictly because I have tried in the beginning to make a variety of things. Some did well, some didn't, but I noticed through Etsy and Instagram, especially now using these modern platforms, 
it's just so much easier to reproduce the same thing over and over again and then be talking about the same thing to the same kinds of people rather than reinventing every three months who I am and what I'm making and who I'm making it for. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think it's something that a lot of us as you know, creative people who like to make and like to try new things and everything struggle with a little bit because, you know, I have a lot of people who come to me and say like, but I make one of a kind things and I'm only going to ever make one of a kind things. And that is totally your choice as a business owner. And certainly you can run a business doing it that way, but you do face that issue of what you're saying where it's like, there is no ability to become the knitted hat lady, if every single day you're making, you know, or even every month or every season, you're like totally shifting directions and years and becoming a new thing. Yeah, totally. And I think especially on Etsy, the way their SEO is rigged. I know I've heard you say in multiple teachings and podcasts, just how that history builds up and works in your favor. And if I'm only selling 10 of one hat and then I'm done with it, that doesn't do me any good, really. Yeah. I mean, it depends on your goals. I don't think, you know, I don't want to be discouraging for anyone who's listening. Like if your goal is to have a side hustle business where you only want to make 10 of something and then you want to move on to something else and you don't want to have that repetition of doing the same thing over and over again... I certainly think that you can sell those products in that way, but you have to recognize the limitations of that kind of business model. And the limitation there is that you're not building up that sales history on the same item over and over again. And so it's more of an uphill battle. Whereas I think that when you have products that are easily reproducible or like products that you can like shift just a little bit and reproduce them, like maybe a different color or whatever it allows you to sort of figure out what's working in that and then just keep on doing the same thing that's working. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So true, Lauren. When I'm looking at your shop and something that I hear a lot of from people who make sort of these handcraft, you know, knitted, crocheted, sewed, that kind of thing. I mean, it's very time intensive. So how does that work for you in terms of building up your shop at the level that you're at, Emily has over 5,000 sales. So like, how do you balance that? How do you, how do you do that? (laughs) Like, how do I find time to make it all? I mean, do you take on a limited number of crochet projects? Or what if you all of a sudden had 100 crochet hat sales? (laughs) Or do you just feel comfortable at the level that you're at and that you know that you can keep maintaining the level that you're at in the business? I think that's it. I think because I've kind of purposely kind of kept it slow while my girls were young, just doing it in the fringe hours, I feel like it's kind of been enough that I can handle. Certainly in the summer, I'm working a lot more hours than I prefer. And actually last year I did hire someone to help me with sewing because I just couldn't do it all. That's, I guess, where I'm heading is just as I grow, I'm just needing to figure out where I need the help. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. I actually, we're recording this episode in October and the episode that I just put out this morning, which I don't know if you've had a chance to listen Hmm. to, it was about hiring help. 
And I think that that is a really a good piece of it that is, I mean, it's a little bit scary to move into that next phase of business, but to also know that you can hire help in different ways. It doesn't have to be somebody doing the actual knitting for you. It can be like some of the other pieces that help to support the business that somebody else can take over. (laughs) Yep. I had my seamstress helper and I also had to pull in my mother-in-law to help with shipping because that was something she could easily help me with without being able to do the sewing. So, and it is scary. It's very scary as someone who likes to do it all by herself and my own way. It's very scary for me to think of letting someone else hold my baby. (laughs) Yes, I agree. And I had those same thoughts where it's like, I know, you know, if I screw up, it's different than someone else screwing up something of mine. (laughs) And so I am a control freak. That's what I learned when I hired people is that I'm a control freak, (laughs) which is a good lesson, I guess, to know about myself. (laughs) Yeah. So when I look at your your shop and your products and kind of like the vibe of your shops, first off, I love the baby pictures. I'm always a sucker for a baby picture. Same. Yeah. (laughs) They're definitely like a niche product. Like you have a very narrow offering in your shop of what you're doing. And I know you spoke to that a little bit already of like narrowing things down and not trying to offer you know, you're not offering everything. You have a hat shop. That is what it is. (laughs) Was that something that happened organically for you? Or did you make a decision at some point to say like, I'm only offering these types of products in this narrower field? I think it probably happened organically back when I was doing a lot more craft fairs, probably in the early 2000s. That was really helpful with the customers right there in front of you and hearing feedback and seeing what they're buying. And it really helped me kind of just focus a lot on the hats. And then same on Etsy. Like I notice, I have like a handful of hats that sell over and over, like probably 10% of my hats make 80% of my sales. And so that also, if I pay attention to that, I don't feel like I need to have a huge variety in my shop if I focus on what's really working. Yeah. I think that that's almost kind of a hard lesson to really internalize as a business owner because what I struggled with a little bit and what I hear from students in the program a lot of times is, you know, I have this 10% of products that are working really well. How do I make the other 90% work too? And most of the time, my answer to that is, why don't you just lean into that 10% that's working rather than fighting against the current for the 90% that's not like eliminate some of that fat and allow it to just, you know, go with what is working and what people are wanting from you. And I also think, and this is like a hidden gem of those of us who started back before social media and stuff was available. But being able to have those conversations with people and get that feedback is so valuable. And you can do it nowadays through social media. But really being able to, whether it is, you know, people in your real life, like your friends and your family, or 
craft fairs and those kinds of things or shops that you're looking, you know, having, looking at having your products, but being able to actually interact with another human being and get their feedback on the product is so valuable. And so many people, I find so many internet entrepreneurs or online business owners are like major introverts and they really push back Mm -hmm. against getting out from behind the computer screen. (laughs) But it is so valuable to do that and to step into that and say, here are my products. You know, and even if you walk into a shop and you ask somebody if they want to carry your products and you have samples for them and whatever, even if you get rejected, it's still valuable feedback. Like you're still hearing something that you can take from it. For sure. I feel like those shows and the whatever the products that were flops really did help kind of steer the course in a fast way. And I totally agree nowadays using Instagram is definitely like the modern day version of that craft fair. And I love having it to get feedback from my followers and also just to kind of see who my target audience, like what they're into these days, what colors they're, you know, going for and what styles it really helps me with research as well. Yeah, I think that 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 is like, I I actually hadn't really thought about that as much in terms of like building a community somewhere to be able to get really good feedback from people because, you know, otherwise you kind of just feel like you're creating in a vacuum. (laughs) And it's like, well, I like these colors. So I guess I will create something in that color. And you know, like it's you're kind of just like yelling into the abyss and hoping somebody else agrees with you. But if you're able to have that connection with people, and it doesn't even have to be on social media, I don't think. I think you could do it through the customers that you have on Etsy and listening to what they're asking for and you know, reading into how they're using the product and why they're buying it and what brought them to you and all of those things. But just to be able to get that, you know, you don't want to, I feel like as a business owner, be just you know, this is what I have. And if nobody likes it, then fine. (laughs) You know, like if you're trying to build a business, then you need to make what people like and you need to be able to know how to connect with people. Yeah, I feel like I have tried that in years past. Like, this is what I like to make and I'm the artist. And if you don't like it, then, you know, you don't need it. But I don't like that. I feel like I want to make something people want. (laughs) That's my goal is to sell it, not to just, I don't know, maybe I'm babbling. (laughs) Right. I agree. I think that there's truth to that. And I also think that there is, you know, there's a point, like if somebody came into your shop and they're like, I want you to print up a wildly colorful design that's a onesie, you'd be like, I'm not the right person for that. (laughs) You know, there's a difference between somebody just creating like an off the wall request that goes with nothing, you know, like they are not asking you for something that's anywhere in the realm of something you want to produce and listening to a customer's feedback on, you know, maybe... I want the visor on this hat to be slightly larger or smaller, or maybe the colors could be more like this shade or, you know, like these kind of minor tweaks to something that just make it a little bit more custom to what they're asking for that likely other people will also appreciate. Oh yeah. I love those customer requests. And a lot of my, 
Like I started sewing adult sun hats again after taking a long break because I had many people asking for them and they're my best sellers now. And I was so thankful. I just, I decided to do what they were asking for. Right. Yeah. I think that that's huge. So I also noticed in your shop, and I think that this is uh, really smart and interesting that you also have digital patterns in there with your physical products. Can you tell me about kind of how that came about? Did people ask you for for the pattern or like? I do get people asking me for my patterns. And I also was just trying to find a way to, I mean, I know there's no such thing as positively passive income, but I wanted to be able to make something once and not have to continue to make it. So this is just my little way of having a little bit of cash come in where I don't have to make it and ship it. And also I just like the variety because I do a lot of sewing and I love to knit and I don't sell as many knit hats, but I love designing them. So I guess it's just a way for me to kind of make money off of my other side hobby. I think it's really smart. And I think that, you know, people are sometimes hesitant to offer, like I'm looking at your winter baby hat right now and like the physical product is $38 and the pattern is $6. And people are Mm -hmm. like, oh, but why would someone buy my product if they can just buy the pattern? Well, those are two totally different types of people that are looking for those things. You know, like I don't know how to knit, so I wouldn't buy the pattern because I wouldn't be able to do it. (laughs) But even things that maybe you do know how to do, you don't always want to, you know, sometimes you just want the finished product and you don't want to take the time to do it. Like I have bought my kids applique um, shirts and dresses and stuff before just because I simply don't feel like doing it, even though I'm capable of it. Yeah. So I think that having both of those allows you to connect with people who are, you know, both a creative themselves or somebody that has the hobby and, and likes that creative process themselves. And also the people that don't and they just want the product. And Like you said, I think diversifying those product offerings to be able to say, I agree with you, there is no such thing as like passive, totally passive income, but certainly selling a pattern is less work than knitting out a hat yourself (laughs) and to be able to diversify that. Yeah. And have those different income streams, I think is, is really smart. Yeah, I remember that was one of my hurdles to making these patterns was um, not only the customers will buy the pattern and not the hat, but one of my bigger hurdles was, oh, another shop owner is going to buy the pattern and sell the hats. And I've realized, though, over the years, number one, having a shop and selling items is hard. And I've been doing it for quite some time if someone who doesn't know how to make their own hat pattern wants to buy my hat pattern and try and sell the hat, I, of course, I discourage it. But at the same time, I know that it's not going to be like instant cash for them. And they're not going to take all my customers away because they happen to be making and trying to sell with profit the same hat that I'm making. Right. Yeah. And I think that that is true. 
you know, I mean, I think all of us go through that process, especially in the earlier days of business, when you feel like a little bit less confident in what you're doing and what you like your value add to that scenario. But I agree with you, like, the number one thing that I see that holds people back from being successful as a business owner is just their lack of desire really to put and, and I don't mean this to be like attacking anybody, but it's their lack of desire to put the work into it or just dramatically mm-hmm. underestimating how much work it truly is. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of don't really have a true grasp of what it takes to run a successful business, which is why I always like I've had so many people since I started coaching be like, you know, like I run Facebook ads and stuff and they're like, it's really not that easy. And I'm like, well, I hope that I've never made it sound like it was easy because I don't think it's easy. And I never ever would like, I feel like I try really hard to make sure that people understand. I think it's worth it. I think it's doable, but I don't think it's easy. I totally agree to that. You've got to really have a passion for it to work through the hard days and months and years to want to keep going even after failures and hard times. Which we're all going to have. Like nobody is still here after so many years that has said like, I've never had a flop. I've never had a product that didn't sell. I've never, you know, I just walk on gold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't happen. (laughs) Yeah, At least not for anybody I know. And it certainly did it for me. So in building your business and like kind of taking those next steps and moving forward into this for people that don't know, I don't know if I said this already, Emily is um, a student in my Scale Your Sales program. So kind of like what are your goals in moving forward and like where do you see this going in the future? You know, I've asked myself that question often, Lauren, like trying to get out of my own small day-to-day world and see the big picture and try to imagine what I want it to look like. I think I'm still thinking I want to perhaps hire more people and just keep doing what I'm doing. I really like what I'm doing. I don't feel like I want to have like a big manufacturing plant, make my stuff. I still am always turning down wholesale. That's not really what I want to do, but I just want to be able to spend more time designing and marketing and less time doing the actual sewing. So I guess just hiring a bigger team would be where I want to go. Yeah. But that's really cool that you recognize that. I also felt the same way with hiring my first employee was just really like, I have to get out of my own way of of having somebody else do some of this like grind work, you know, that's time consuming so that I can continue to do the parts that I like a little bit more. I don't mind doing some of it, but I don't want it to all fall on me. Yeah. Yes. And not to mention when I sew for eight hours a day, all week long, my hands get tired. (laughs) I want to not sew so much that it hurts. That's my goal. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) That's a good goal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Emily, thank you so much for being here and doing this episode with me today. If people want to look you up and connect with you, where can they find you? 
I'm on Instagram. It's Emily underscore Blue Corduroy. And I'm on Etsy, Blue Corduroy. All right. That's great. Thank you again, Emily, for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Lauren. That was fun. I will see you next week back here on the podcast. Same time, same place. Bye for now. Bye.